I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We'll be reading uh, verses 11 to 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have uh, called us uh, here this morning to hear you speak to us through your word. And we pray, Lord, that even as Mary had this encounter, that by your spirit we would have the same encounter as we contemplate and consider our resurrected Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as you know, we held a Good Friday uh, service uh, this year. Dr. Sachs preached to us about the the crucifixion of our Lord, uh, the cross upon which Christ died for the sins of of his own. When he finished the redemptive work he set out to accomplish while on earth, he says in John 19.30, it is finished, dying as our substitute in our place, paying for our sin, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. And yet the story isn't over yet at that point. Paul tells us in Corinthians, unless Christ has been risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. And so we come now to look at the resurrected Christ. Having considered his death, we now come to consider his resurrection. And I want to look at, in particular, this encounter that Jesus has with Mary Magdalene, or we should say Mary had with Jesus Now, the first 10 verses of this chapter, we didn't read those, but they tell us that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb of Jesus early in the morning and saw that the stone was rolled away. And so she thinks his body has been stolen. And she goes and she tells Peter and John. And Peter and John then race to the tomb and see that it's empty. Christ's body is gone and all they find are the linen cloths. Well, it seems that John believed Uh, that Christ had been resurrected, and he goes back to the house and tells Mary, the mother of Jesus, the good news. However, in the meantime, Mary Magdalene makes her way back to the tomb. See, she she thought Jesus' body was stolen. And that idea that his body was taken overcomes her, and she, she breaks out into this uncontrollable sobbing. Look at verse 11. Mary 
stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And so the disciples had gone home, but here Mary stayed. Uh, The disciples left here considering that Christ may have been risen from the grave, considering a resurrection. Mary stayed at the tomb considering there was a robbery. Her affection for Christ would not let her leave, not let her take her eyes off the empty tomb. And see, that same affection for Jesus caused her this great grief and this incredible sorrow. There is this uncontrollable sobbing. There's this weeping for her Lord. That's what the word weeping here means. Constant, unrestrained sobbing. You see, her Savior was gone. And at this point, she has only one explanation for that missing body that it was stolen. It was hard enough for Mary to see them beat Jesus. It was unbearable for her to see him hanging on the cross, but to add insult to injury, they now have taken his body away. And she does what any of us would do, of course. If someone we love so deeply died and their body was missing, she wept. She gets lost in her sorrow. It overcomes her. See, understand that for Mary, any faith she had at this point was stripped away from her life. All her hope was gone. She would no longer see her blessed Savior. And understand, he was everything to her. All she had now was the memory that that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. All she had now was the memory of the man who, who, who saved her from a terrible existence. All she had was the memory of the man who loved her unlike any other person ever loved her. All she had was the memory of the man, the one man who would forgive her of her sin. And Jesus says, those who are forgiven much love much. And Mary loved Jesus much. And now he is gone. And so with his death and now his disappearance, her faith was dead, her hope was gone. All that remained was her love. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. James Boyce tells us we will never understand the account of of Christ's appearance to Mary at the tomb unless we recognize that it was love and only love that brought her there. She had possessed faith once, she had hope once, but now faith and hope were gone. Only love caused her to seek the body and and held her close to the tomb. And it was this love that caused her, at least initially, so much pain, so much suffering, that brought to her so many tears. Grief filled her heart. And, and, and she goes where, where grief usually ends up bringing you, staring in death's tomb. See, beloved, when we sorrow as those without hope, there's nothing wrong with grief. We are to grieve the loss, say, of a loved one. But when we sorrow as those without hope, when we walk by sight and not like faith, we end up like Mary, stooping down and becoming preoccupied with these lowly things. And that's what happens. See, Mary's love at this point is for a crucified Lord. It, 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 and so she was looking for him where? She was looking for him in a tomb. She knew nothing about a resurrected Savior. 
And so her love could only be mingled with tears and, and pain and sorrow. And here's the irony of it all, as you know, as we read the text. The tears she shed, the uncontrollable sobbing was needless. She cried because she believed he was gone, and yet he was standing there in her presence. He, he, he was an arm's length away. Look at verse 14. She turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. He even speaks to her, but she thinks it's just the gardener. And uh, what we have here is a picture of how we often live our life. We mourn over the loss of things that are really within our grasp. We, we, we fear things that we never have to really fear. We worry about things we never have to really worry about. And there was a survey done that concluded that the average person's anxiety and, and, and turmoil in their life is focused 40% of the time on things that will never happen. 30% of the time on things concerning the past, which they can't change. 12% of the time of criticisms by others that probably aren't true or mostly untrue. Uh, 10% about health issues, which only get worse once they stress and have anxiety. 8% on real problems that we will actually have to face. And so 92% of the time we worry, we stress over, we have anxiety over, Things we don't have to worry about. We worry for nothing. Our tears, our sorrow are in vain. One wise person said, the beginning of fear is the end of faith. But the beginning of true faith in God is the end of fear. We must leave the, the possibility of trouble in God's hands. We, we would be wise to follow the advice of Hudson Taylor. And this is what he had to say when it comes to fear, worry, and anxiety. Let us give up all our work, all our plans. Let's give up ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, everything, right into the hand of God. Give it all over to him. And when we have given it all over to him, there's nothing left for us to be troubled about. Beloved, when we excessively worry about things beyond our control, and we all do that, and are consumed with fear, consumed to the, the, the point of being trapped with no hope. What we're saying actually, even when we do this as believers, the lie we're telling ourselves at that moment in the midst of the, the suffering and, and the overwhelming sorrow is that we're not serving a risen Lord we're serving a Lord who's still in the grave. We're saying he's still dead and therefore not capable of caring for me. He's not capable of sympathizing with me. He's not capable of handling my situation. And so see, when, when fear begins to get the upper hand, when you are consumed by worry, when you are consumed with this, this need to, to uh, get help, ask yourself this. Ask yourself, do I serve a resurrected Christ? Do I serve a resurrected Christ? And if the answer to that is yes, then you can cast all your anxiety on him. Why, as Paul tells us, because he cares for you. Actually, it's the apostle Peter in 1 Peter that said that. It all comes down to this. Either Jesus has conquered death and is alive 
and is therefore sovereign over all the affairs of the world, including every detail of your life, every sorrow you experience, or Jesus is still in the grave and he's not worthy of your faith and therefore all is hopeless. And let me say, let me, let me be clear at this point. If Jesus is dead, if, if he's still in the grave, then you should despair. You should. There's no doubt about it. Anxiety should fill your life. But if he's alive, then you should rejoice and face life and all its trials and its tribulations with a, with a holy confidence of sorts. You will have an occasion to grieve. We all have occasions to grieve. That is true. But you should not be consumed by it. Why? Because our Savior has risen from the grave. This is why in verses 13 and verse 15, Jesus and the angels ask Mary, why are you weeping? I mean, shouldn't she be? Shouldn't someone who loved Jesus so much uh, uh, be weeping if she thinks he's dead? Yes, but he's alive. Why aren't you rejoicing that he's not in the tomb? Of course, they knew. They knew why she was weeping because they thought she thought he was still dead. But, it, uh, but they're kind of rebuking her gently, but they're rebuking her. They're saying, this is not a time for weeping. You've, you've misunderstood the situation you're in. This is actually a time for rejoicing. There's nothing to be crying about. The reason the tomb is empty is not because someone stole his body. It's because he has conquered death and is now resurrected. And, and, and see, Mary will soon discover that, but at this point she's still consumed with the loss of Jesus. Now, it's with no small significance that we, that we see that Mary here is the first witness for the resurrection, the first person Jesus talks to. John Calvin said this. He said, it is strange that a more competent witness could not be found. Now, that sounds rude, but he's not being rude. He's not being disrespectful to Mary. His point is, if the resurrection accounts were made up, you know, some people claim that, right? This is all fabricated. None of this is true. And so John's making this up so people will, I don't, I don't know why he would do it, but he's doing it. And he's making this up. If that were true, he would never make a woman in that culture the first person to bear witness to the resurrection. In that culture, her, her testimony was inadmissible in a Jewish court. And, and, and top it off, Mary had a shady past. You know, you read that in the Gospels. And so her testimony would have been tarnished. In fact, the disciples don't even believe her. When she first comes to them, they don't believe it. We read in Mark 16, Mary Magdalene went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she said she had seen him. This is Mark's version. They did not believe it. And, and so for John to include Mary as the first eyewitness of the resurrection, it can only mean one thing, that Jesus actually raised from the dead and Mary was there. That's what actually happened. 
that first resurrection morning. And it's important for us. Her testimony is true, and and we can count on it. If he was making this up, he would have never included Mary, but he did because that's what happened. He's not making up. Our faith is not futile. Our faith is not blind. There is evidence, and the evidence is convicting. And it's also uh, uh, something that we can put our faith in. Jesus is not in the tomb because Jesus is alive. You see, the last thing Mary expected to find when she went to the gravesite early that first Easter morning was an empty tomb. She did not expect it. And so the morning for Mary begins with panic. It begins with despair. And see, that's how that story would have ended for Mary if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, if she hadn't encountered a risen Lord. She would have returned to the disciples, and she would have been weeping. But instead, she returns to the disciples with the announcement of good news that she saw the Lord and he spoke to her. Otherwise, she would have remained in anguish. But she returns. Why? Because Jesus is risen from the grave. That's the point. And Jesus is risen from the grave. And Mary becomes the key witness in a defense for Christ's resurrection. Mary's love, her, her deep, passionate love for Christ is honored. Her, her love made her linger at the tomb. Her, her love would not allow her to leave or let Jesus go. And for that, she's honored. She's rewarded. It's Mary, not Peter. It, it's, it's Mary, not John or any of the other disciples. It's Mary Magdalene, not even Mary, the mother of our Lord. It, it's not Mary, Lazarus' sister, who anointed Jesus' body. It's Mary Magdalene, who has the distinct privilege of being the first person that Christ reveals himself to. She's the first to lay eyes on his resurrected body. She's the first to hear his resurrected voice. And so as the light comes on in her mind, in that situation, and she realizes his body was not stolen but resurrected, her uncontrollable sobbing that she was experiencing turns to this uncontrollable rejoicing. I thought his body was stolen. No, he is alive. He is alive. Jesus is alive. And now Mary's once dead faith and dead hope is resurrected. It it, it comes alive again. Nothing, nothing other than a resurrected Lord would have pacified Mary's anguish. Nothing other than the presence of Jesus. There was nothing else anyone could offer her. Maybe you've experienced that. You feel like, I'm so trapped. Things are so bad. Nothing, nothing anybody could say or do will help me. That's where Mary was. Only one thing could help her, and that one thing came to her. He, Jesus, was risen from the grave. And here's the lesson, beloved. If you want to know the comfort that Mary knew that first Easter morning, If you want to experience the deep communion that Mary experienced, you must get to the point in your life, in your walk, where Mary's one desire becomes your one desire, to be with Jesus. The songwriter put it this way, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. 
And when I am alone, give me Jesus. And when I am afraid, give me Jesus. You can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. See, if you fix your eyes upon Jesus as Mary did, if you set your affections upon Jesus as Mary did, even when your faith is weak and it's slowly dying, even when you're filled with fear and anxiety and you're losing all hope, you can be sure that the Lord, in due time, will honor your desire and make himself known to you. That's the principle here. That's what we learn from Mary. This situation is summed up for us in a way in Psalm 73. This is what we read there. Whom I have in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Mary's only desire was Jesus. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For me, it is good to be near God, the psalmist said. Mary got near Jesus, I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Jesus was Mary's refuge. And then she went and told the disciples about the, the work of Christ. That is the resurrection. It's, as we consider the scene and you consider all that's going on here and amazing it is, what's the application? How do we apply what we've learned? Well, we just looked at one. There are many. Because Jesus is risen, you, you don't have to let our, our negative emotions get the best of you. you know, we see that as an application. We can cast our cares on him. We need to always remember that we serve a resurrected Christ. That's true. It's important. That's one of the lessons we learn. We also see here, right, the importance of love. We talked about that. Even when our faith is weak and our hope is wavering, Mary teaches us that our love for Christ can get us through it. And so that's an important as well. We must grow in our love for Jesus. We must have a passion for the resurrected Christ. And we can be confident that where there is genuine love for the Lord, even in the midst of our, our darkest moments, when there's genuine love for the Lord, it'll be honored by Jesus. That's an important lesson. That's a good lesson to learn. Another lesson we learn is we must not keep all this good news to ourselves. Mary didn't do that. We must be evangelists. We need to tell others. We don't keep it to ourselves. Jesus sent Mary to the disciples to tell them the good news. Jesus sends us to go and make disciples of all nations, telling them of the gospel of a crucified and risen Lord. And so that's another great application, evangelism. All these are great applications. They're all wonderful. But to be honest, I don't think they're the most important applications. No, they're important, but they're not the most important application we find here. You see, the, the great application from the sermon is not a list of things you are to go and do. You should go and do those things, but it, it's not what it's about. Rather, the great application is knowing that an encounter with Jesus Christ can change your life forever. It's not so much about doing as being. Not so much about what you are supposed to do, but who you are in Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. See, only when you fully understand the implications of your new position in Christ, your relationship to Christ, will you be then propelled to go on to do the things he called you to do. And so you must listen to Jesus and, and, and meditate upon his word. And in our passage, we find two amazing truths to meditate upon. First, it's found in verse 16. Mary here turns and sees Jesus. 
He doesn't recognize him. But with one word, Jesus changes everything. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. He calls her by name. One word, Mary. He had spoke a whole sentence before that. Uh, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she thinks he's the gardener. Uh, But here is just one word, Mary. And that one single word reached into her heart and opened up her eyes in an instant. The weeper at that moment becomes a worshiper. Three days she has been weeping and in complete anguish. And then Jesus says, Mary, and immediately her faith that was once dead springs forth from the grave. He calls her Mary. What does Jesus tell us while he walked on this earth? The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And having heard his voice, having heard her name, Mary does what every believer will do. She obeys his words and goes and tells the others. Beloved, Jesus knows you by name. You're not a mere number in a a book. You're, You're personally known by your Savior. Everyone loves to hear the sound of your name. If, if everybody in this room's talking and everybody's loud and you're walking around and you hear your name, all of a sudden, they could have been saying a thousand things. You wouldn't know what they said, but they said your name and you hear it. Well, know this. Jesus calls you by name. That's how intimate a relationship you have with your Savior. Meditate upon that just, just for a moment. You see, you drown out all the other voices Consider that even now, the resurrected Lord is calling you by name. He's not far off, uh, somewhere in the distance, unaware of your circumstances. That would be a dead Savior. This is a living Savior. You're not just another person. You're in intimate fellowship with Him. He knows your weakness. He knows your struggles. He knows your frustrations. He knows your needs, your trials, your fears. He knows when you're anxious. He even knows your sin. And if you will just let him speak to you through his word, your once weak faith will spring to life. He knows. He knows you by name. And so meditate. Meditate upon the fact that Christ knows you by name. And then let him speak to you through his word, as only a resurrected Lord can do. So that's one amazing truth. Another amazing truth to meditate upon. Look at verse 17. Jesus says to Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, as an aside, just real quick, Jesus is saying that because he wants Mary to understand that she's not going to relate to him in the same way she did prior to his death and resurrection. Jesus would soon descend into heaven. He would send the Holy Spirit, and that would be how he would relate to us, relate to Mary through the Spirit. And so Jesus tells her not to cling to him, and then he commands her to go and tell his brothers about the ascension. Go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, did you pick up on what he says? Normally, he would say, yeah, I have to go tell others about Jesus. That's not the focus here that I want you to look at. Go and tell my brothers. Just days before this, the disciples abandoned him. They forsook their master. They denied their Savior. And yet Jesus raises from the grave and he speaks in these intimate terms. They are his 
brothers. It's the first time Jesus ever calls the disciples his brothers. It's an amazing thought. He did call them earlier his friends, and and that's wonderful. Uh, But here, there's this intimacy uh, even after they deserted him. And so you see, the resurrected Christ calls you by name and calls you brother. We would say brother and sister, of course. It's on resurrection ground that you are related to your Savior in the Lord this way. Because he is resurrected. Because of the resurrection. I'll close with this. Because of the resurrection. If you believe the gospel. If you, if you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you, if you believe he lived for you. And he died for you. And he rose for you. If you believe he was raised for your justification that you could be declared righteous and forgiven, as Paul says in Romans. Because of the resurrection, you are now a brother of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And how amazing this is comes out in the closing words. Look at verse 17. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Do you hear what's being said? All of us here who believe are brought into the same position as Jesus before God the Father. My Father, your Father. My God, your God. That's your position in Christ. Because of the death and the resurrection of Christ, all believers are now and will always be a child of God and a brother of Jesus. That's amazing love. That's amazing grace. Enemies are made friends and brothers. Sinners are made saints. Children of the devil are made children of our God. And it's all possible because he is risen. That's the real application An encounter with Jesus, such as Mary had, radically changes your life. It turns your world completely upside down. It can take you from the pit of despair to a place of sheer delight. It moves you from darkness to light. It it moves you from blindness to sight, from fear to faith, from worry to worship. And so I ask this Easter, have you had an encounter with your Savior, like Mary. If you haven't come to know him at all, believe in the death. Believe in the resurrection of Christ. Believe that the Lord died for you and took your sin, and you will be saved. And if you have had an encounter, meditate upon who Christ is to you, and you can have the sheer delight that Mary experienced, and it will be shown in your life. Let's pray. Our great God, our Heavenly Father, we are so obviously not at a place where we delight in you alone, where our one desire is to know Christ. We pray, Lord, by the power of your Spirit that you would make that so. In Jesus' name, amen.